have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I was at a garage sale this week, and for 50 cents, for this sermon, I bought Mr. Wonderful. Now, these are things that wives wish their husband would say. Here we go. Actually, I'm not sure which way to go. I'll turn in here and ask directions. Here we go. Another thing. Here, you take the remote. As long as I'm with you, I don't care what we watch. You know, honey, why don't you just relax and let me make dinner tonight? Aw, oh, can't your mother stay another week? That's my favorite. One more. The ball game really isn't that important. I'd rather spend time with you. Just one more. Let's just cuddle tonight. <laughs> now, that's Mr. Wonderful. You know what the problem is with some church people? They want Pastor Wonderful. They want their pastor just to say nice things. We had an elderly couple in the church that I served uh, years ago, and they went to Hope Lutheran a little, and then they went to this big Lutheran church a lot. And sadly, this very big Lutheran church was a very nice church, middle of the road, very moderate. They didn't hurt anybody's feelings for any reason. And the, the wife wrote an angry letter to our elders at Hope saying, I don't like Pastor Brock. Why can't Pastor Brock just preach nice sermons like our other Lutheran church? And God bless the elders, they defended me by saying basically, we're not supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be loving. Old Pastor Maynard Force, who uh, was the pastor at the church when I came years ago, he said, it's more important to be loving than it is to be nice. And he said, we're nicing people right into hell. Well, we are doing a sermon series on the parables, if you've been watching this program. Today's parable is not nice. Jesus is going to talk about hell in this parable. It's called the parable of the fishing net. And what I want us to do is to slowly go through this very simple parable, learn all we can about sometimes you don't be nice, you be loving. So would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 13, and let's learn from the parable of the fishing net. Let's pray first. Father, we would pray that we will be loving to people, and when it is time to say a hard word, we'd say it humbly and lovingly, but we'd say it. And may we not be afraid of offending people, may we be more afraid of seeing them go to hell. Lord, teach us now through this ancient parable, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the fishing net, we start at verse 47. <clears throat> Again, Jesus said, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Here's the first lesson from the parable today. There are all kinds in the church, all kinds of things in God's boat. Um, just because you go to church for 50 years doesn't mean you're a fish. There's all kinds of, of fish, good and bad, in God's boat. You know, I don't assume that because somebody is a Christian professor at, this, at the Lutheran College that he's a Christian. I mean, here's what happened years ago when I went to college. Jerry, a girl that I uh, w was in my church, she goes to our Lutheran College in Moorhead, Minnesota, Concordia University, and her Christian professor in the religion department at the Lutheran College taught that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. And so Jerry came home from college not believing in the resurrection of Christ anymore. I went to a Lutheran seminary here in St. Paul, Luther Theological Seminary, and boy, the stuff, some of the stuff they teach there, according to someone I know there, he said much less than half of the professors at Luther Seminary in St. Paul believe in the virgin birth of Christ. This is an ELCA Lutheran seminary. I mean, just because someone is in a, in a church, even the pastor of the church, doesn't mean he's a fish. <laughs> um, you know, th there's an old saying, walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a barn makes you a cow. Let's look at verse 48 again. Matthew 13, 48. When it was full, when the net was full, men drew it ashore, etc. Here's the next lesson. The net, the kingdom of God, isn't full yet. Jesus said in Matthew 24, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a testimony to them, and then the end will come. Do you know why Jesus Christ has not returned yet at the second coming to end the world? Because the net isn't full. One day, all the nations will hear about Christ and salvation, and then will be the end. Look at verse 48 again. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good fish into containers, but threw away the bad fish. Here's the next lesson. The final separation is coming. The hardest question in Christian theology is this. Why does a good God permit suffering? I mean, why is it that Christians in the Sudan are being raped and killed if they don't convert to Allah? It's happening. Why is it in, in Indonesia and Saudi Arabia and some of these places, if you don't convert to Islam, they'll kill you. Where's the justice? Why doesn't God step in and stop that? And the answer from this parable is he will. It's called the final judgment, the close of the age, but he won't do it until then. If you've ever seen that great Michelangelo painting of the second coming, it's the huge painting that's in the Sistine Chapel where they elect the Pope. Jesus is coming down in the clouds, the dead are being raised, the Christians are going to heaven, the unbelievers are being pulled into hell, but standing in front of Jesus are the saints who've been martyred and killed, and St. Barbara is holding up the rack or the, the wheel she was killed on, and St. Lawrence is holding up the rack he was uh, barbecued on, and they're asking for vengeance, they're asking for justice. One day that'll happen, but it doesn't happen until the end. Look at verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. Here's the next lesson. 
there will be a close. Most people, including us Christians, live like there won't be a close. Everything is just going to go on and on and on, and I'm going to live forever, and nothing's ever going to end. And, you know, we got to fight to get that out of our heads. We need to remember there's going to be an end to this. Uh, a pastor I know of talks about eternity-denying entertainment, meaning watch extra extra and entertainment tonight and you know all of these gossip shows you would never dream from watching daytime talk shows that there's going to be a close and his point is we need to fight to maintain what's called a wartime mentality christians we're in a war we're here to bring people to christ don't fall asleep watching uh soap operas watching oprah Gratefully, she's off the air, but she'll probably be back. This is called Eternity, Den The View. What a horrible show. You'd never dream there's a heaven and a hell by watching The View. And we Christians need to turn off the TV set and remind ourselves we're in a war. A close is coming. We are here to win people to Christ. I was sightseeing in downtown Chicago some time ago. And I'm walking through this big, huge, kind of grinding city, tons of people walking on the sidewalks. And I started getting depressed, and I'm thinking, anybody here ever think about God, Judgment Day, the need for Jesus, heaven and hell? And I was kind of getting depressed. I turned the corner, and here is a black preacher on the corner preaching Jesus. And people, you could tell people thought he was a kook. So I stood to listen to a sermon. It was great. He wasn't screaming at people. He had a, he had a little uh, microphone. But he was talking about heaven and hell and how we need Jesus and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It was a wonderful sermon. But you know what he was doing? He was reminding people who don't have a clue that there is a close coming. Look at verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Here's the next lesson. Angels will take part in the second coming. Did you know that? That when Jesus comes down in the clouds at the end of time, it says the angels come with him. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, it says that when you die, the angels come for your soul. That's uh, Luke 16:22. Look at verse 49 again. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Now, here's a hard question from that verse. Aren't we all evil? You mean, what do you mean he's going to separate the evil from the righteous? Aren't we all sinners? Who are the righteous in verse 49 here? Well, let me explain something very important. Please listen carefully. This is called the great exchange from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's what happens. Let me read the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me repeat that. God made Jesus sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the exchange. On the cross, Jesus took all my sin and he gave me all his righteousness. It's like God took my sin, dumped it on Jesus on the cross, but then took Jesus 33 years of perfect obedience and dumped that on me. This is called the imputed righteousness of Christ, that when God looks at me now, I'm perfect. When God looks at me, like here's me and here's Christ and I'm in Christ, he doesn't see me anymore or my sin. He sees 33 years of perfect obedience, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And according to this text, 
You need to be righteous to be saved on Judgment Day. You need to be one of the fish that are righteous. How do I get righteous? You flee to Christ. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I need Christ's righteousness, not my own. And that's how you're saved on Judgment Day. Again, it's called the imputed righteousness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Look at verse 49. The angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous, those who have been imputed righteous by Christ, and he will throw them, the evil, into the fiery furnace. Here's the next lesson. Here's where Jesus' parable isn't nice. Here's the next lesson. Hell exists. Jesus talks about the fiery furnace. You know, now and then, I'll ask somebody, when's the last time you heard your pastor preach on hell? And the response I'll get, I've never heard our preacher preach on hell. Sadly, a lot of preachers won't preach on hell because they don't want to offend people. But you know why else they don't preach on hell? A lot of preachers don't believe in hell anymore. This happened this week. It was very sad. I went to the website of a very large evangelical church here in the Twin Cities. The pastor is a Baptist. He says he's an evangelical. He has a whole page on why hell is not eternal. He's what's called an annihilationist, that when you die, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're just annihilated. You don't go to hell for eternity because God in his love would never do that. Well, what do you do with this verse? The fish are thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus talks about eternal punishment in the Gospel of Matthew. There's other verses that talk about, I mean, when I was young, I tried to believe in the heresy called annihilationism. But then I reread my New Testament. And when you look at what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, they taught eternal hell. And sorry, Pastor, you don't know more than Jesus. I mean, I'll, I'll, I have a friend, and he was in what's called clinical pastoral education, where you are with about 10 other young men or women, and you, you learn how to be a chaplain. These are Christians preparing to be pastors. He and his friend were the only two out of his group of ten that believed in hell. And so finally, he, he, he's, after difficult discussions, he says, well, wait a minute, though. Jesus preached on hell. Now, you're, you say you're Christians, you're going to be Christian pastors. Jesus talked about the reality of hell. You don't believe in hell. What? Do you know more than Jesus Christ? You're going to correct him? <laughs> See, beware of pastors who don't believe in the scriptures anymore. This verse teaches hell exists. Whether you like the doctrine or not, you are, you are to submit to the teaching of Christ. I saw, well, let's look at what hell is. Look at verse 50 again. In that place, here's what hell is, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice, they're not annihilated. They're weeping. They're gnashing their teeth. Have you ever stubbed your toe on the table and went, mm. imagine doing that for eternity. I saw a funny cartoon that wasn't so funny. It's the Far Side cartoon, and there's a, a picture of the devil standing next to the door of hell, and a long line of people are going into hell, and the devil's smiling, and the sign on top of the door says, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. I mean, this has happened to me maybe six times in my life where I've woken up in the middle of the night kind of shaking because it's just resonating in my head, there really is an eternal hell. And I think if you and I could take an elevator down into hell and just look at it for two minutes and come back up, our lives would never be the same. 
Here is the main thing I want you to take away from what's called the parable of the fishing net. Here it is. The final separation is coming. It could happen tonight, but one day Jesus will come down and the angels will separate the, the righteous from the unbelievers, those who have the righteousness of Christ from those who rejected it, and it's going to be quite a day. And, and here's my sermon to me and to you. Let's turn off the TV set. Let's not be numbed by eternity-denying entertainment into thinking everything's just going to continue. There's no heaven or hell. You can do whichever you want and get away with it. Turn off the TV set. Pick up your Bible. Read your Bible more and watch your TV, TV set less to develop a wartime mentality that Christian, the reason you're on earth, I'm on earth, is to bring people to Christ before that great last day comes to the close. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. This is the portion of the show where we invite you as listeners to send your questions for a future show to have Pastor Brock explain or answer what you think might be a contradiction or something you don't understand in the Bible. We're going to show you our website at the end of the program, and this is a great place for you to check it out and leave your questions for another show. Pastor Brock, from your sermon today, you were talking about vengeance. Is it wrong for a Christian to ask for vengeance? Because doesn't the Bible say vengeance is the Lord? Yes. So Paul says, I think this is Romans 13, Never take your own vengeance, beloved. Leave it to the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So you don't, as a Christian, you cannot retaliate someone who is uh, harming you. You can't respond in kind. You can pray, God, help take care of this person, protect me from this person, because sooner or later, uh, those who reject Christ are going to pay the price. Well, you were talking about the painting and the people that were there that were requesting vengeance, yes. and weren't they like martyrs? Yeah, now, they were. is and that wrong? No, it isn't wrong, because it comes from Revelation, where the, the saints underneath the altar are crying out to the Lord, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And God tells them to rest a little longer until the other Christians are martyred, and then the time will come. So, you know, it's... I mean, Jackie, when you think of Christians being persecuted right now, or, there's more persecution of the church now than ever, believe it or not. And, and um, just when women are being raped because they won't convert to Allah, this kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm not saying all Muslims are like that. I know they're not. But there are some like that. And some regimes are pretty horrible. So uh, one day God will step in and avenge what is wrong. But don't you think, too, Pastor Brock, that right now, for the first time, I think the media, the social media, is showing more of this persecution mm -hmm. that people never believed really truly existed. Yeah. Well, maybe you're seeing shows I haven't, but I, I don't see it much. Well, just even in your normal news things, when you're seeing the bloodshed and yeah. the... Oh, that's right. Yeah, the I mean, we're getting more stuff. of the militant yeah. things we are. being shown to us I mean, to I'm make so us aware I'm of sorry, that. but... No offense, but who wants to be a Muslim? given what, what is happening in Islam to, uh, to the rest of the West, who wants to be a Muslim? And, you know, Jackie, I'll say this. I think the worst false prophet in world history was Muhammad because he has led the most people astray. 
He's led a lot of people away from Christ. They say they believe in Jesus and Islam. They don't believe Jesus died on the cross. They think Judas died on the cross, that he substituted. They don't believe he rose from the dead. The, they do believe, strangely, that Jesus was born of a virgin. <laughs> but other than that, they deny the Christian gospel. And my prayer is for Muslims. I mean, I have some Muslim neighbors. Lord, may, they, may you open their eyes to see the glory of Christ. They think Christians believe in three gods. We don't. We believe in one God and three persons. So just pray for your Muslim neighbors that they'll come to know Christ. That's a good thought. Okay, let's go to a question that we have from somebody. That Paul seems to teach that we're saved by faith and not works. But James says we're saved by faith and works. Is this a contradiction or how do you explain you know, that? If you believe in the integrity of Scripture that all of the Bible is inspired, you don't want to say Paul and James contradict each other because then God is kind of schizophrenic. But here's what you've got. Romans chapter 3, Paul says, We hold that a man is justified, that means declared not guilty, declared righteous, by faith in Christ apart from works of the law. In other words, the way you're, you're made right on Judgment Day is by Christ's death on the cross, not by any works you've done. So you want to say, yes, we're saved by grace alone. Yes, we're justified by faith alone, apart from our works. Then you get to James, who says this in James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, what's going on here? Either this is a contradiction or... Paul means one thing by faith, and James means another. Paul means one thing by works, and James means another. That's what's going on here. I think people were perverting Paul's doctrine, and, and James had to step in. Because and, and, the kind of faith that James is talking about, he even says that you believe that God is one, big deal. So do the demons believe. The kind of faith Paul is talking about in Romans 3 is saving faith, real faith. The kind of faith James is talking about is fake faith that even the demons have. And when Paul talks about works, he's talking about meritorious deeds that you do by which you think you earn heaven. When Paul, that's not what Paul, uh, James means. James means by works the fruits of faith. So, so putting it all together, yes, we're saved by grace alone. It's only by Christ that I will be saved, not anything I do. It's also true that true faith always changes your life. It'll produce these works. Now, actually, you didn't produce them. The Holy Spirit produced them in you. So even he gets, God gets credit for your good works. So your good works don't save. They are the evidence, though, that you have been saved. And if somebody says, I'm saved by grace alone, and there's no evidence, they haven't been saved by grace alone. Because, again, it's amazing grace. It changes your life. And makes you want to do something. That's right. Okay. All right. One more. If a person is divorced, are they committing adultery if they get married again? Well, you know, um... Jesus says, what I would encourage people to do, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where Paul, the Apostle Paul deals with the divorce issue. And of course, read Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, where Jesus deals with the divorce issue. Jesus does say, if you divorce someone and marry someone else, you're committing adultery. Now, that's what he says. So, Jackie, uh, this is controversial and, and uh, Christian pastors who are committed to Scripture have different opinions on this. Uh, let me share three, three ways people answer that. The one, first one is, is there is no unforgivable sin. Divorce is forgivable. Of course you're free to marry somebody new if you're divorced. Uh, that's, to me, too sloppy agape, a little too plain, quick, and easy with the Scriptures. The second view, and I respect this view. It used to be mine. Uh, the second view is that some understand the Bible to say there are two exceptions for divorce. If you are uh, cheated upon, you can divorce and remarry, or if you're deserted, 
1 Corinthians 7, they think that's what that means. You are uh, free to divorce and remarry. Uh, and a lot of people hold to that view. Uh, I hold even a more conservative view. This is the, the view of a lot of Protestants. It technically is the view of the Catholic Church as well. If you get divorced, you should stay single. Because I do think the Bible allows you to divorce under adultery or desertion. I just don't see where Paul says, or Jesus, you can find somebody new and get remarried. Now, if, you're, uh, if your ex-spouse dies, you're free to remarry. But if they're alive, I would encourage people just to be a single person, live for the Lord, and you've got a lot to, life can be very full being a single person. One last question. You, you gave the legitimate reasons then that there are grounds for divorce. divorce. But it's after divorce where the problems arise. Yeah, I wouldn't remarry then. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you think Christians should be involved in politics, Pastor Brock? You know, I think there's a balance. I, I, there are some Christians who are called to politics, and they should be a Christian senator. What bothers me is when we have liberal bishops, and all they do is politics. And good night, I, I, I won't mention him, but there's a certain bishop of a certain denomination. I wish he'd preach the gospel. I mean, he'll take a stand on uh, uh, gay marriage, the wrong stand. He'll take a stand on immigration. He'll take a stand on the environment. I'm thinking, could you please get back to preaching Christ for the salvation of souls? This bishop has never preached that there's a hell from which we need to be rescued by the death of Christ. He doesn't, he never mentions that, but he sure will talk about immigration reform. So I think Christian, I mean, I'm a Christian, Jackie. I think we should, as Christians, fight against uh, abortion, fight against homosexual marriage. We should be trying to get the FCC to enforce the decency laws to clean up our airways on television. So there's all kinds of things to be involved in as Christians, and we should. Our central message, though, is still the gospel. Okay, so... If you are involved politically, you should be picking what things you want to see changed mm -hmm. that all work for the good mm -hmm. of proclaiming yeah. the gospel. It's very tragic, though, Jackie, in some of our churches. Some of our churches, like the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and the Presbyterian Church USA, they are officially pro-abortion in that the ELCA pays for abortions. So it's very tr sad when the church has become the world. Okay, well now you've heard what you can do. You can send your questions in and on another program we'd be glad to talk about them with uh, everybody and you can reply to these statements that Tom has made and let them know your opinion. We want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484.
May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.